What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. This is Matt Liner, and you're listening to Reign of Troy Radio. Reign of Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Get Michael Castillo on the phone. <laughs> Scratch, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Oh, I can't believe USB is 5-7 and seven and not going to a ball. Oh, all right, Trojan fans, turn up the volume. It's time for Reign of Troy Radio. Here's your host, Michael Castillo. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Reign of Troy Radio, episode 305, coming to you on Wednesday, March 13th. We're going to talk about the latest in USC football, including a scandal breaking out, along with spring camp and so much more here on this episode. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, and Spreaker. Our bonus episodes are on Patreon, patreon.com slash Troy. Our email address is reignoftroy at fansided.com and our phone number is 213-373-1872. I'm your host, Michael Castillo. Join along with my co-host, Alicia Dertol. Hello, everybody. Hello, Alicia. Last week was your TV debut. As TV is in tunnel vision. You went on tunnel vision uh, with our friends over at uscfootball.com. So we figured, why not do a home and home and we've brought on our pal ryan abraham from uscfootball.com to make his not really debut because you've been on the show before kind of but your debut ryan abraham welcome to the show hey thanks for having me on uh, how, how was i on the show before i don't think i was the april fool's day show oh yeah that's true okay that you were on the show but you weren't but you were but you weren't that's coming up I don't know. We can't really do that this year. Cause no, I was thinking about it. I was trying to think of ideas and I couldn't think of anything that wouldn't be too obvious. Well, we can't give anything away if we do think of anything. <laughs> well, that too. The funny thing is that Ryan has been hinting like, I haven't been on your show. I've been on it for like forever and, and we haven't made it happen. And we always say it's because, you know, we are not worthy kind of intimidation of having basically oh, the godfather of, uh, of USC football stuff on the show. But you know, we got to up our game today, Michael. I know it's 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 the big time. It's a big time episode to uh, to have Ryan on. I'm I am curious. What is it like being on Rain of Troy Radio versus just doing the Parasol podcast? Like, how different are things here in these first like minute and a half? Because I know we record completely differently. Yeah, no, it's definitely different. Um, I mean, when I'm recording the Parasol podcast, I'm in my little studio, but I kind of just record everything there. We'll. Skype in people from, you know, either you like to Skype them in through Skype. It's usually better. You guys are using Google Hangouts. I don't know. I'll I'll see how that one works. I haven't really tried that one yet. Uh, But sometimes we'll have Keely in studio with me and other times you have to get them remotely. But you guys take it to the next level by everyone recording their own audio. Uh, Sometimes I have guests on that maybe aren't as uh, podcast adept, I guess you could say. So that might be hard, a hard ask uh, sometimes to get people to do that. But I think it's going to sound uh, a lot better. And you guys definitely are more organized as far as like, you have an outline here, of, you know, what you, what you want to do and stuff. And I just, I pretty much just wing it. And the only editing I do is for, uh, just sound quality. So you can do, I do this algorithm kind of thing where I do a few things and edit it and then move on. I'd like hardly ever change anything I said. So if I say something really dumb, 
uh, I just leave it in there. So it, see, it, yeah. <laughs> I find that admirable because I wish I could have the comfort for, for with everything I say. Like I'm the type of person if I'm saying something on a podcast and I think it's stupid, I'm like, oh no, just gotta cut it right then, right then and there. I wish I had the ability to just like roll with the punches. I admire that. Well, thanks. It's uh, I mean, it's maybe it's laziness more than anything, but I've always thought of it like I started doing this just just showing up to work every day. I think you can do a pretty good job. I mean, you guys have been really consistent. We, you know, we've been consistent with our show. It's like I think our twelfth football season coming up. But it's just it's it's one of those things that it's. I just look at it as radio. We're trying to do radio here, and you don't, you know, live radio just kind of go out there. So I I'm kind of recording it like they say you're recording live. Like it's not going live, but you're recording it like you are live. Right. Unless there's some real big problem, or you know, sometimes there's a gap, or you lose somebody, or something. You'll make some edits, but for the most part, I try to just keep it like. Hey, here's the show. We talk for an hour or whatever, and then save it and move on. Yeah, it is crazy to think that this is going to be your 12th season. Um, it it has been wild. Um, I've always appreciated, you know, the the reason for Parasail Podcast being that there wasn't enough talk on the radio, and it is amazing to me as a fan of sports teams that are not in LA or, or I don't even live in LA anymore, but you know that that weren't easily accessible, like the Cubs, for instance. It was it's easier for me to just go to a podcast and listen to something and nerd out about it, and it has been commendable that you were able to like bring that to the USC beat if that makes sense yeah well thanks it's uh I mean I I didn't really start listening to podcasts till a couple of years ago like I talked like Alicia I mean I talk at, at practice and she'd talk about different podcasts she would listen to I started listening to more uh recently so I was producing them for like eight nine years without really even being a consumer of it but it was really just that it was that if you're in LA they're talking about in the spring they're talking about the Lakers a lot more than it's they're talking about the USC yeah so there's always stuff like that going on. So we just say, hey, you know what? I'll do our own show, do a podcast, and um, it, it's been it's been a lot of fun. It's 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 you find a whole different audience. Um, and I've talked to a lot of writers that do you know you guys write on Reign of Troy, but the podcast is like its own separate thing. It's it's connected, but there's people that listen to the Reign of Troy podcast that likely aren't reading your stories, and we have the right. same thing. I talked to Stuart Mandel and Bruce Feldman, and they were shocked. They're like, oh, here's my column on blah, blah, blah. And someone, they would meet in an airport. They're like, I don't read your stuff, but I listen to your podcast. It's like a whole nother group of people that you can reach out to, and it doesn't necessarily intersect with people that are on your website, which is like the main thing. Yeah, 100%. Like That's that's my experience as well. The, our, our podcast is a brand unto itself, and I think it helps our site because it gives, it gives the site a little bit more um, uh, you know, people are a little bit more aware of it, but definitely there's, there's podcast people, there's website people, and there's like a Venn diagram that sort of intersects, but I don't know. I, I'm very much a podcast, but I, I am that podcast person for like Liverpool stuff. I only listen to stuff. I don't read like my favorite podcast. I don't read their website and I feel bad as like a producer of these kinds of things. But <laughs> at the same time, like it's just, I love listening to things. So as long as you're I mean, consuming was, the content in some way, uh, you're right. Exactly. That, that's well, the, I've t- that's the key. And I've told Ryan before, like, the Peristyle podcast was the first podcast I ever listened to. I don't even know, like, how I ended up coming to the Peristyle podcast. I just I just turned it on one day and then was, like, hooked. So, yeah, I mean, that that was kind of, like, the revolution for me. Yeah, the uh, the, the Trojan Revolution, if you want to call it that. <laughs> yeah, stay away from that one. Yeah, all right. Uh, well, let's get into the news. There's a bunch of news topics to talk about, including something that just broke on Tuesday, which suddenly we have to talk about, including a scandal. Uh, so we'll get to that. We'll talk about some spring football and so much more coming up right after this. 
right, Alicia, you're going to have to handle this one because it's a lot of detail that is way beyond my scope. There was a huge scandal that broke out on Tuesday involving numerous universities, prestigious prestigious ones, including Pac-12 powers like USC, UCLA, and Stanford. Georgetown was also among the schools involved, but it's not a good one. Alicia, take it away. Yeah, so on Tuesday morning, it broke, uh, indictments broke about this nationwide college admissions bribery scandal, essentially. So there was the the owner and founder of this like college admissions prep kind of company, and he was basically paying officials at schools to you know help kids get into college. And in specific to USC and a couple other schools, the scam involved having coaches and in USC's case, an administrator basically falsify uh, documents and falsify records to try to say that regular uh, applicants were applying under athletics rules. So basically, the athletics department has can lower standards, lower the academic standards to allow athletes to get in. You see that all the time um, with guys who are coming in on scholarship. But apparently, that also applies to people who are walking on, like, you know, the preferred walk-on status, I suppose. And so, uh, and this is not, not, you know, a smaller, smaller sports. This is regarding specific to USC soccer, women's soccer, uh, water polo, and like rowing, uh, was, was one of the big ones that came up. So essentially, uh, and this is the big name, uh, national title winning water polo coach, uh, Jovan Vavich, uh, is, is, has been indicted, has been arrested, and has now been fired. Uh, a former USC women's uh, soccer head coach, Ali, oh, I'm going to mess this one up, uh, Kozrashahin, Koz, uh, and his assistant coach, Lori Janke, who were formerly at USC, have, have since been terminated, but were still sort of involved in all of this. And then uh, USC's senior women's athletic director, Donna Heinel, uh, has also been uh, indicted, arrested, and now fired. So this is like a huge scandal, but essentially, like just to hit some of the some of the the low points, I suppose, uh, uh, Janky or Yankee and uh, Kozras Sahin allegedly received three hundred fifty thousand dollars for designated four uh, students as recruits to the women's soccer team. Um, Vavich had a bank account that was funding USC's water polo team that he he ended up putting two hundred fifty thousand dollars worth uh for designated two designating two students as water polo recruits um the athletic the athletic director assistant athletic director Heinel accepted and this this is just mind-blowing 1.3 million dollars between 2014 and 2018 into USC bank accounts that she controlled uh for Turning these regular admi- ad- um, applicants, making them look like athletes so that they could get in under the lower qualifications. Apparently, this is all alleged that it was between $50,000 and $100,000 per student to falsify records. And to get into, just just to finish this all out, to get into the, 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 the basically specific anecdote that explains all of this, um, there was, and I believe this is the actress uh, from, from Full House, um, uh, whose whose name I'm now forgetting because there's so many names that I'm that I'm pulling together on this. Uh, she paid to have her daughter 
get into USC. And what they did was uh, Janky, who was no longer working for USC, but was working for basically this guy now, um, falsified the records to show that she was a crew recruit, a, a rowing recruit. And Heinel was coordinating this all, falsifying the records to make it look like she was a recruit. Uh, the, the, the specific anecdote is Heinel asked for a picture of the girl on a boat so that they could make it look more official that she was actually someone who rose and she's not someone who rose. So Janky found a picture and quote unquote, like, quote, you couldn't so that you couldn't see the face. So they found a picture of some random rower on a boat <laughs> and then tried to pass it off as this actress's daughter so that she could get into USC under the lower academic standards of being like a, a recruit for the crew team. And this was happening dozen, you know, more than two dozen times. This kind of thing happened. And this was up at the top. I mean, I mean, like, I didn't know who, who Donna Heinel was before today. But she if you look at USC staff directory in the athletic department, she is number three from the top. There's Lynn Swan. There's Steve Lopes. And there's Donna Heinel. She was basically running the women's side of the, of the athletics program. So those are all the details. And there are, a th I mean, every time I look at Twitter, there's a new ridiculous mind-blowing detail that's coming out about this. But those are basically the dirty details. Do I blame Larry Scott for this? <laughs> <laughs> do we have a, do I blame Lynn Swan and Pat Hayden we, for this? We job? don't have a Lynn Swan or Pat Hayden one. We, we need to add one of those. But Ryan, there's a lot to, to digest Ooh. here. So much. Like, like, where do you even begin? It's this is mind blowing, and then you just following Twitter, just seeing the new, you know, information that keeps coming out. And for people that don't know, when you're talking about uh, getting into through the admissions, if you're a regular student, you apply. There's, you know, the admissions, you know, process that you kind of go through. If you're an athlete, then there's a separate uh, committee, like subcommittee, that you, they would look at. And for every head coach out there at, at USC, you get a certain amount of student athletes you can get in. I mean, for the most part, it's it's easier to get into school as a student athlete. It's not always uh, on scholarship. There, you know, the preferred walk-ons you can get some special treatment there as well. So this really was the fact that uh, Donna Heinel was doing this, and it's like, I mean. $1.3 million is baffling, but she, like Alicia was saying, she was going through and like, okay, here's how we have to get this person through. So she was like the, the, the mastermind from, you know, reading some of the indictment stuff behind all this, because you would come to her and like, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to put your kid on the crew team. And I'll, and it seems like when she would send like some kind of, you know, falsified documentation to the, the this admissions board, they would kind of let them through and it seems like a lot of times coaches maybe didn't know about it. In some cases they they were obviously uh, with Vavich getting fired and stuff. Um, who's USC's most probably prolific head coach of any sport ever because he won 16 national championships between the two sports. Like that's insane. So he's gone now. USC's no longer a water polo school apparently. But to see that the way she was kind of masterminding things and getting money, like you said, Lisa, like in USC accounts that she was controlling, it's absolutely mind-blowing that this was going Ryan, on there was I, a line in the indictment in which the the rowing thing i was talking about the guy who was coordinating the the head of the college uh, uh thing told the parents of that person to write heinel a check payable to usc athletics and send it to her name to her <laughs> usc office like straight up 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. And in the, the celebrity aspect with you got Aunt Becky from Full House on this thing. You got uh, you know, Desperate Housewives star. All and, and of course USC, but it's the at least the schools involved with USC. It's like Stanford, Georgetown, like all you know, uh UCLA's in this one too, like all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, ties in with the, the elite schools. And um, it's amazing that this was allowed to go on and how it happened. It seems like there's a little bit of ties with football. Um, you know, we, I don't think we know the full extent uh, yet, but just seeing how this was going down and how deeply involved USC was, the kind of money that was being paid out, it's absolutely mind-blowing to me. And just, it's another one of those things that if you had better leadership at the school. I'm not saying this would have been prevented, but all, I mean, a couple of these scandals could have been prevented. Just such poor leadership, guys. And that's why I think we're here today. You can't just, you know, you could have bad leadership and not have all these bad things happen. But if you have bad leadership, you can sort of expect that these kind of things are going to happen. And and obviously they have for USC. And it's not just that there's been one scandal. It's just every single scandal has just kind of backfired on top of each other. Or it's just stacked up, and it's insane the way it's done that, which has to lead to the question of when there is a new president, don't you have to just come in and just completely clean house with everyone in the the athletic department? I mean, we we've talked about it before with with the administration. Um, you can't have all these scandals underneath Max Nikias and not have him take the fall for it at some point. Now, when you're getting athletics involved. Lynn Swan has to kind of, you know, at some point be the fall guy, right? I mean, besides the, the people that they've actually already fired, like there needs to be some sort of way that leads back to the top. You know, I think uh, Pat Hayden's probably going to look the worst out of all this. I think more right. of it was under his reign. He's the one that hired Donna Heinel. And, uh, but yeah, Lynn, I mean, this was going on under Lynn Swan. And I think for USC, when you're talking about hiring inexperienced athletic directors, if Lin Swan was an experienced guy, could he have come in and looked around and go, hey, why are these payments going here? Well, this doesn't make much sense. Why would this be happening? There was really no checks. He just came in and was going to do exactly what was – there was anything going to change. So that's on USC. That Even if Lin Swan isn't directly involved with this, the fact that USC put him in that position, he's not going to be one that's going to figure this out. Like, oh, yeah, that's, that's terrible. If you hire an experienced guy – uh, maybe that doesn't happen, but it's, I do feel like Michael, you, you have to get a new president in that's strong here, you know, uh, him or her, whoever it is come in and are you going to clean house? You probably got to do a lot of that. I just can't see this sort of culture continue. I, I, you know, Baylor, I think was reluctant when they had to, you know, the, the big sexual assault scandals and stuff, even when they first like were firing people, they started hiring other bad eggs to bring those people in. Then they kind of figured it out and they stopped and then just came in and just wiped everybody out and started clean. USC's to the point now, guys, like I don't know how you wouldn't try to wipe this clean at some point because there's just too many. It, John Wilner tweeted out, there's only there's two FBI scandals involving athletics in the past 18 months. There's only one school that was involved in both, and that's USC. And that's after – that's just the athletics stuff. That's after dealing with the, the, the two medical school uh, scandals – that's dealing with the the board of trustees being just infighting and all that kind of stuff. The USC feels like it definitely needs a clean slate. And on the university side, the president is the easy solution to that, right? You bring in a new president. And if I'm that new president, I mean, maybe maybe I feel for Lynn Swan in the sense that, like you said, Ryan, 
most of this is on Pat Hayden. Uh, but if I'm the new president, I come in and say, well, I have a really, really strong argument for just cleaning house. Be- just with this paired with the FBI probe, you can sit there, walk in and say, who is going to complain if I stand here and say, nope, we got to start over. There's 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 rot in this program. Let's just put, bring in somebody who knows how to clean clean things up. And and that's the, the, the really big issue, right? It's not just that Lynn Swan is the AD. It's that Lynn Swan followed Pat Hayden, who also had no AD experience, who followed Mike Garrett. And so no one in this century of athletic directors at USC knows what a has known what an athletic department should look like. And that's the number one thing that has to change. Yep, that's a, that's a really salient point that until you, you have that experience that knows how things are run. How are, how are they supposed to know? Um, you're kind of setting up guys to fail in that sense, especially when you're hiring athletic directors based on their athletic prowess more so than anything else. Um, but let's turn the page and talk about football. Spring camp started for USC last week. There's been three practices. Alicia, you were at all three. Ryan, I think you were at two of the three. One. <laughs> one? Okay, one. For, but I know. For, first, week, first week thoughts, Ryan? Yeah, I, I really felt... Uh, looking at last spring, things just didn't seem to go all that well. And I think maybe, you know, it was probably starting off with the quarterbacks because you had Jack Sears and Matt Fink, and neither of them seemed to do, you know, perform all that well. Uh, maybe that gave you a weird view of what the, how good the defense was going to be. And I think spring practice in the beginning was better than it was at the end. And it just didn't seem to progress in the way you would like. And like I said, a lot of that might have come back on the quarterbacks. It's hard to say, you know, just after one week, um, but, you know, seeing how things were run a little bit differently, I think was important. I think when you heard Lynn Swan talk about making all those sweeping changes and culture and discipline, all that kind of stuff. And then with the coaching changes, it wasn't it wasn't as dramatic as you may have liked, but you needed practice to be different. And I, I, I think Clay Hilton came out and started talking about all of the, you know, everything that first week. And we're going to talk about 2018 for one day. And now we're going to move on from that. And I feel like practices were different. And then there's some, you know, there's some difficulties there because of the lack of depth of receiver, the lack of depth in the secondary. Uh, But they helped that a little bit by getting Greg Johnson back. But I feel just watching Graham Harrell run things, USC sometimes to a fault, they come up with like a plan two months ago and that's what they stick with. I loved hearing that Graham Harrell like basically winged like you said you like me winging the podcast he would wing like half of the offense when he was at practice and he would get up on the top of the dado field deck and make the play calls from there like it was in a game and it just seemed like things were crisper things were running more smoothly uh you would see the quarterbacks kind of get into things and for them to be you know practicing in a, a, a new system right away the simplicity of it i think helped those guys uh, a lot of people talk about Jack Sears last year when he started against Arizona State and the, the offense was simplified. Well, I think now the offense is simplified for everybody. So it'll be a more equal playing field for all of these quarterbacks. And so, I, you know, I know there's a lot of USC fans that are like doom and gloom and stuff, but I was impressed with the changes I saw from last spring to this spring. And we'll see if that continues on through the spring and they get better. But my, my gut feeling is that it is. And I think it's because you're going to have someone like a Graham Harrell coming in and and running his portion of practice in a more efficient and I think uh, in a way that's it's it's going to help this team improve, help the players improve, and help them pick up the system as fast as possible. Yeah, I'd, I'd echo those thoughts. Uh, I came away from Tuesday's practice feeling really positive. 
came away from Thursday's practice, uh, still feeling a little positive. I got to say, Saturday's practice, which was the f- first full pads practice, I came away a little bit more muted, I, I suppose, in the sense that it, it still wasn't very physical. It still wasn't, uh, you know, it, it was it was still lacking that that little bit of like energy that I that I'd kind of want. But it's also the first week of practice, and and it's all it's hard to tell what anything is real. Um, but you know, Ryan touched on on the offensive changes. One of the other big things too is that there are noticeable defensive changes. And I came in thinking Clancy Pendergast coming back meant Clancy Pendergast coming back, and Clancy is a stubborn guy, and so that's gonna things are gonna stay the way that they are. But so to see the first week of, of practice where the defense is obviously shifting to a different look, that's got some encouragement too. Like with all of these changes, I don't know if they're going to necessarily net positive, but they're something. And, and I've been saying this on, on a few places. If we spent the entire from the end of the season to the start of spring camp, just screaming for something to change, 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 change. You got to give them credit where. There are little changes, and that's pretty much where the first week of, of camp left us. Is there were there were enough changes to placate the calls for change that that I had throughout uh, the last few months. Yeah, change is good, especially in the spring, and that they have the liberty to do that. You might as well see it, especially with Graham Harrell running the offense. Let's get into a couple of uh, news nuggets to get to. Spring camp injuries, Britton Allen has a hip injury, and Dominic Davis has an undisclosed injury. Both guys are expected after spring break to return. This week, there is no practice. Uh, There's always one week of practice, and then spring break, and then four weeks of practice. So those two guys will come back. Hopefully after that, you'll be able to see a little bit more of... uh Dom Davis down the sideline. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just saying, just saying. You know, the it, it, one drop you want to play, too. I don't know if we're going to see any of the Daniel Amator Bebe stuff going on. Uh, I, I would like hey, to see it. There you go. You, you might. You, you never know. Um, he has not been participating, and C.J. Pollard has not been participating because he's out with a foot fracture. Yeah, they could have used him, and I think he wanted to step up and, and try to become a leader. I remember talking to him after... Uh, the, I think it was the cotton bowl. Yeah. I think it was after the cotton bowl and him talking about, yeah, I want to step up and be a, a leader on this team and, uh, and, you know, and start and stuff. And that really didn't happen for him last year. I thought there was a, a, a good opportunity there this year. Unfortunately, he's going to be out for, uh, spring. I think I saw it on Gavin Morris's, uh, Instagram story or something. He was like in one of those wheelchair cart things or with his foot up in a brace or something, but that, yeah, that's, that would have been nice to see him out there a little bit. I think it would have helped him get some more run. Yeah, it's extremely unfortunate because USC doesn't have any scholarship healthy uh, safeties. Isaiah Palamau and Talanoa Hufanga are out there practicing, but they were in yellow non-contact jerseys on Saturday when they were going full pads, and they're going to be limited throughout spring. So CJ Pollard would have had a huge, huge opportunity to basically you know, step himself in there to, uh, to sort of make his mark in the spring. And he's just he, – it's just the injuries seem to hit guys just like at the most unfortunate times sometime when that when their opportunities are the brightest uh but usc secondary in general is uh yeah yeah that's the story of spring because that's the problem is it's not going to get better like greg johnson coming back which we're going to talk about in a second helps the depth but at the same time the day he came back Britton allen tweaked his hip and so he was out for the last two practices of, of the week and so it feels like you know one step forward one step back 
and there aren't going to be any more reinforcements until the fall. So the guys that they like the five guys that they have available are the five guys that they're going to have available or less because of injury. What here? I got an idea for you guys. What if we take some of those uh, student quote unquote student athletes <laughs> who got into school, but they weren't really athletes. You bring them in, they could play in the secondary. Like, Hey, we, we really need you. You got in because you're an athlete. We actually need you now. Come in and come That's play. That's a legitimately good idea. <laughs> I like it. You sound surprised, Michael. Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) I I dig it. I dig it. It's a plan. Um, You know, you mentioned uh, Greg Johnson, Alicia. He was in the transfer portal. He has now been removed from the transfer portal, according to Clay Helton. Helton confirmed it on Saturday. Um, So he's another guy USC at least gets back in in the defensive backfield. But he struggled last year. This is a big spring for him to prove that he's kind of gotten over those struggles. How has he been um, when you've seen him in the limited action thus far? Um, I I basically devoted half of a car cast to this on Saturday. Um, he looks to me like a player who's devoid of confidence. And I think that's going to be the biggest. Greg Burns talked on, on Thursday when he was made available to the to media. He talked about his basically task this spring is to start from the bottom build these guys up from, you know, from the very, very, very basics of of the position and just sort of rebuild the, the, the whole unit and rebuild all these players. I think Greg Johnson is a rebuild job because last season he lost his starting job. He looked out of it in terms of body language and, and, in, and in terms of sort of where his confidence was coming from. This spring is going to be all about rebuilding him as a player. And I told the, I think I told the, the THT guys this, uh, I think Greg Johnson will be a really good barometer of of the work that Greg Burns does because if Greg Burns can get Greg Johnson back up to the to the stage where he can really contribute for this team then you have to give Greg Burns a lot of credit because he looks like a player who needs to really be worked with and just from the mental side of the game get him back to to what I think is just a lack of confidence. Yeah, you mentioned Greg Burns. I, I think Greg Burns right now is setting himself up. It's like when you're playing Catan and someone's got a bunch of roads going and you're like, <laughs> this dude might win the game. That's what Greg Burns is doing. All these recruits that he brought in, um, you know, by calling them tirelessly before signing day, if any of those guys pan out, it's going to be a huge win for him. And he's has the ability to gain so much credence that maybe, you know, SC didn't have in the previous regime. And that would be huge for, for SC because they need that. They need that in the defensive backfield. Yeah, 100%. And and he's he's got his work cut out for him because there are a lot of ta- some talented guys in there. He's going to bring in a lot of guys who were not very highly touted coming out of high school. And so he's going to have to bridge the gap, I guess, between those two groups and get some production out of this. Ryan, you were around when, when Greg Burns was around the first time. A- have you noticed any change in him at all from, from when he was around under Pete Carroll? You're saying I'm old, Michael. Um, I, so I'm I, not <laughs> saying you're old. <laughs> we were. There was That was sort of the time when we were just starting to get into the practices. I think, I can't remember which year it was. It might have been, he was there like 2003, 2004. I think that's when we first, it might have been 2004, we were starting getting in there more. It was a sort of this like progressive getting uh, more access and stuff as internet, you know, uh, online media, we're just kind of, kind of building that. But um, yeah, 
I mean, I don't, so I don't, I wouldn't say I remember exactly the way he was uh, at going at practice and stuff. Seems like from the people I talked to that were there, um, that, you know, there were also like some of the players and stuff. I talked to former players and it seems like he's about the same um, right now. And, it, you know, he's kind of bounced around to different spots. And I think just having someone that's been there before and seen the glory days, it's not just something you talk about. He can, you know, I mean, I mean, he was there, he lived it. I think that'll be uh, helpful, but it's, I feel like the secondary is doing some better drills and stuff than what we were seeing do the last couple of years. Uh, it's, it's hard to tell after one week, but I would say, you know, just personally, I would say I'm a little bit optimistic of, uh, what Greg Burns is going to do there. Like, was he the, the greatest hire in the world? I mean, it's hard to say, but I think, I think you're going to see an improvement from the secondary play, even though you're losing a lot of veterans off that squad. I feel like this is going to be a group that's going to be coached up a, a little bit better than maybe what we've seen in the last couple of years. Yeah. Uh, Ronnie Bradford kind of left a lot to be desired there in a lot of different sections, even though he worked well with Clancy Pendergast. You kind of always wanted to see more, especially on the recruiting side of things. Uh, let's talk about other news that broke last week. Bowl games, new bowl games, or a new bowl at least. According to Brett McMurphy of Stadium, the Las Vegas Bowl has reached a six-year deal in place to be a Pac-12 versus SEC slash Big Ten Bowl. It'll be alternate three years of SEC and three years of Big Ten at the Raiders' new stadium there in Las Vegas starting in 2020. It'll be the Pac-12's third-best bowl team going there after the Rose and Alamo Bowls. And the SEC versus Pac-12 matchup is huge because aside from the 2016 Peach Bowl, in which Washington played Alabama in the playoff, the Pac-12 not, has not played an SEC team in a non-playoff bowl since 1989 in the Freedom Bowl when Washington beat Florida 34-7. to as a result, the current Vegas Bowl will basically move to L.A. and become a Pac-12 versus Mountain West Champion Bowl matchup at the Chargers' new stadium in Inglewood. Uh, Ryan, as a Pac-12 podcaster, I, th- <laughs> I think this this is your uh, this is your expertise. Yeah, it's great. I thought that I, I thought it's great to see um, you know when USC played Pac-12. I mean, uh, SEC teams in the past. Those are, you know, obviously USC was better then, but it was cool to see, you know, I went out to the Arkansas game or the Auburn game and to see those kind of fan bases come to the Coliseum is cool. And the fact that we haven't seen that kind of matchup in the Pac-12 versus the SEC for so long, it's just, you know, it's a little disappointing. So I like this. Um, I'm curious to see if it moves up in status uh, even a little bit more. I, do you know which SEC team is coming out here, Michael? I don't uh, it didn't say in, in the report from McMurphy, it said that it was unsure. This has been my kind of um, question about it. Is it going to, if it's going to be Pac-12 three against like SEC seven? Right. That's bad. That, like that would suck. Um, I mean, it would be good for the Pac-12 in the sense that, you know, it would be like, say this past year or whatever, it would be someone like, um, you know, who went to the Alamo Bowl, Washington State, right? So let's say it was a team like Washington State or Stanford. And if they were playing someone like Mississippi State, I think that's a matchup that favors the Pac-12 and it would probably bring positive PR in the sense of if you're setting up a matchup that you're going to have an advantage of, but you want your good team going up against their good team to prove that you're actually good as a conference. I agree with you. And there's, you know, when you see the SEC and they're able to get teams that go two and six in conference, they're able to get those teams into bowl games because they'll go four and zero against a bunch of cupcakes. If it's someone like that, 
against like 11 and two Washington state, that would be, I mean, I don't care how much Washington state wins by like, that's a disaster too. Like you have a six and six sec team. Hopefully it's a little closer than that, but just, just having the PAC 12 play the sec. Uh, I think that's going to be, it's going to be cool to watch. Of course, you got to go out and try to win those games, but it's at least another opportunity to kind of prove yourself against the best conference out there. Yeah, it's better than not having a Pac-12 SEC matchup. Uh, so credit where credit is due, uh, and 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 this is also you know credit where credit is due. We've been talking about this as Vegas with this new stadium should be where the Pac-12 puts a lot of its investment as far as being like a, a base of 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 opportunity, I suppose. It should be Vegas. The Pac-12 should be what Atlanta is for the SEC. Yes, exactly. But but the championship game there. Put everything you can there. Use it as the central hub, and because it it essentially is what it is. I mean, it's as centralized of a location as a neutral one, and it's one that everyone wants to be at. Everyone wants to go to Vegas, and it's one that has the hotel rooms. It's one that has the fanfare. It's one that has the money. Has everything you'd want. So it revitalized the basketball tournament. Uh, it could probably do that for the football game, the uh, conference championship game. We'll see uh, if that ends up ultimately becoming a thing in a couple years too, which as expected. Um, last thing before we move on, basketball. Benny Boatwright named first team All Pac-12. Ryan, you're making a face. I, I feel like oh. you got a strong take on this. Yeah. So so Benny, he's on the the basketball USC's basketball team. That's what he plays for, or is that? I'm yeah, not I think a, that, so. Yeah, <laughs> SC had a basketball team last I checked. That, that's yeah. I don't know. I just don't get into it uh, that much, guys. I mean, it's great for him. Um, it's it's you know, I, Shotgun does a lot of our coverage uh, for basketball, and Dan Weber will go to some games, and Shotgun will tell me like, man, they're going to be good this year. And I'm like, yeah, probably not. And then I'm always right because they're probably not good. So I, <laughs> well, at some point, they got to just show me something more. And I, I know the Pac-12 is down, but man, it's just been. The kind of season that they've had is just disappointing. Show the fans something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think Shotgun's right, though, because we go into every season rightfully saying they should be good because these players are quite good. Like Benny Boatwright came back from the injury uh, from last year and really started to live up to his potential, and he was really good. And Nick Rakosevich, who got an honorable mention for, for the All-Pac-12 uh, he can be really, really outstanding. And there are a lot of players on that team who have ability and USC just hasn't gotten anything out of them. So for me, Benny Boatwright getting first team all Pac-12 is a really good individual accomplishment on his part. But it kind of highlights, like Nick Rakosovich only being an honorable mention, kind of highlights how little USC has gotten out of the talent that they have well, available you, you to them. You can't couple it with an eighth place finish. Uh, exactly. If you said before the year that Benny Starbird Boatwright would be a first teamer, you're like, that sounds like a good thing. They're probably going to be a good team. And the entire conference has just been not good. Not good at all. Do I blame Larry Scott for this? I don't know. Maybe. I got a good uh, Larry Scott drop for you if you want. The truth is, we all know Champagne Larry likes to roll large, right? That was John Kins- yeah, John Canzano, uh, when he wrote that story, the four-part story, we had him come on our Pac-12 podcast, so I thought that was, calling him Champagne Larry, I thought was great. It reminds me of uh, Keontae Dan. Keontae Dan? <laughs> From Dan, Dan Guerrero, that's Dan what uh, Bruins Nation would call him, <laughs> uh, which, was, which I always thought was in poor taste. But anyways, let's move on, talk about spring camp. 
we've come up with ways to improve spring camp. We're going to talk about that next and then get to the mailbag and wrap this thing up after that. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back to Random Troy Radio. We're going to talk about spring camp and how to improve it. We've each come up with a few ideas. Alicia, you want to kick this thing off? You got an idea on how to improve spring camp, whether it be college football in general or USC-centric, however you want to do it. Improve spring camp, fix it, make it better, something. Give me an idea. I'm tempted to do something really selfish and say, like, hey, let's maybe let photographers in the media use the entire sideline to take pictures or hey let's let the media have a little pen over on the other side of the field where we could choose to go stand near the offensive line for a day like but that's not i don't know that that would help usc uh directly anyway <laughs> that's my number one like hey throw me a bone uh no i, th- I think a simple simple quick solution to help usc spring camp which is almost based on us not knowing how the rest of spring camp is going to go, but I would do every practice that is in full pads have at least one full tackling 11 on 11 period. And that can be the compromise for USC not wanting to do a ton of tackling and fans wanting, wanting to see USC do way more tackling. Let's find somewhere in the middle where once a day you go out, you go full contact and you build up some of that physicality. Yeah, that's a, that's a good idea, especially when there's been so many calls for uh, for that kind of physicality. Ryan, throw, note, throw me an idea here. So, so yeah. quick, quick side note before before Ryan jumps in. Has anyone heard anything about how ASU's full full tackling without pads thing has gone for them? Good question. They're already done with spring football. They yeah. ended February 28th. I But I have not checked on that. That's a really good question, though, how that worked. Because it was, it was some of the rugby kind of tackling stuff, too. Yeah. Right? Yeah, well, I'd I was love just, to know what the injury counts were, if they went yeah. up or down or, or whatever they did. Well, yeah, I guess we'll find out if, if they continue it. If they do it in fall camp or they do it next year, it'll say something, right? I don't know. Sorry. No. Go go ahead, Ryan. No, that's good. I think good points there. I mean, selfishly, and it was great. We would get to go to the other side of the field sometimes when they would have like a big pen of recruits. They wanted the recruits in our pen. And the the weird part is they separate things. So there is like... There's the the parents and fans are in one section. Now they can't interact with the media who are in another section because that would be terrible if, if those two groups talked, even though they all know each other. And then when recruits come, they are they are completely quarantined. They have to be in a very separate area. So I remember I think it was Dylan McCullough's when he came in that year. They moved us over to the other side for a period or two and or for a practice or two. And that was great. We got to see like the running backs up close or we got to see the offensive linemen and stuff. Doing something like that, I think, would make a lot of sense. But I'm going to start with um, – I don't think that was one of mine. But I'm going to start with the spring showcase. And I think that's a – I think that's a terrible name. I think they need to go back to <laughs> the Trojan Huddle. The Trojan Huddle was – Man, I missed what the, the Trojan Huddle. That was what the spring game was. It was at the Coliseum. They had an In-N-Out burger and stuff coming there. Like That was good. Like, make, Are you going to get – 80,000 people like you do at like Alabama or something. No, you're not going to get that. But it was a really cool thing that USC did. And ever really since the sanctions kind of hit, like now they've just got away from a real spring game. And I get there's injuries. I get there's things that happen, but you can still do a spring game. And it's all, they're just like, it's like they're afraid of what could happen as opposed to just like, let's go play. It's a spring game. You got months and months till the season. So I would like to see that happening. I don't know if you guys know, but there's some, they built a building 
next to the Coliseum for like cricket or something. I'm not sure what it's for, <laughs> but that seemed like that'd be a great venue to have USC spring game over there. You know, if they're not doing their squash or whatever the matches that, that they do there, I think it would be cool to do something like that. Having two years in a row at Cromwell, it just, uh, I don't think that's going to get it done. They got too far away and they're calling a spring showcase to make it not seem like a spring game. I hate that. I think go back to doing some sort of a spring game. You know, if you, I know you can't do it at the Coliseum now, but I, it would have been awesome if they could have done it at the, and I've not been there yet. It's, you know, you guys know I'm not a big soccer fan, but I, I it looks really cool. And I think that would be a great venue if they would let USC do it. I don't know if they would. Right. They they do have a game that day. I, I remember looking it up, but oh. yeah, I've always thought that they should hold it at the StubHub Center or whatever the hell is called now there in Carson. Dignity and UCLA held one there. Um, a few years ago when they were doing the Rose Bowl stuff and I thought SC could kind of do the same thing and then they built the, the the new stadium for LAFC right next to the Coliseum it seems like it would make sense to try to do it they're not doing it I, I, I think they're using the Coliseum as a lovely excuse to not do this thing because no coach wants to do a spring game anymore and it sucks for the fans it sucks for media it sucks for a lot of people because I think sp- spring camp is all Besides about, you know, evaluation and stuff, from the external perspective, it's about getting to know more about the team. And all the storylines are always positive. It's always, you know, they're hitting more, the coaches are doing better, so-and-so's gotten better. They're always good, feel-good storylines. So why wouldn't you want to take advantage of that and have a spring game where people could feel good about the team? It makes sense. They're always going to be worried about injuries or what's on tape or what's whatnot and you know you know how paranoid coaches can be but if if they wanted to sell tickets for this coming season when people are not that enthusiastic about this coming season then show what better the way early, right? than to sh- i mean who cares that you don't have anyone in the secondary that works to your advantage you get to go put that offense out there and let them tr- just trash your defense like <laughs> i know that people might not look at it that and people might look at it from the other side and go oh that defense but still like you could go out there and be running those four wide receiver sets and be, you know, tossing the ball left and right to Pittman and, and Devin Williams and Tyler Vons and Alvin Ross St. Brown and like get people really, really excited about what this offense is going to look like in, in, in like a games, in a game scenario. But they're not bold enough to do that. And so they're going to suffer for it because they're just not bold enough to do it. I mean, look how excited people were for Max Brown in 2015 when he threw yeah. all those touchdowns to Christian Tober. Like people yeah. were excited about that, and that was just that was just them resting Cody Kessler. So th- there's ways to pull out a positive storyline with the spring game. Um, it would just be more enjoyable if they did that. My first suggestion is pretty radical. Um, it would be c- the creation of a new sport. I think there should be like you know in water polo, men's water polo is in the fall, women's is in the spring. Why don't you make two football sports? One that's in the fall, one that's in the spring. The one that's in the spring is seven on seven. And you have a seven and seven competition. Um, I don't know how you want to do it, whether they're seasons, whether they play meets, like a track meet, however you want to do it. But I think it would be fascinating to see what that would do for development of offenses, for quarterbacks especially, for defensive backs, um, for wide receivers. USC especially this year would benefit from it 
immensely. Like if you could go out there and you could actually compete and you could throw JT Daniels and Matt Fink and Jack Sears out there with live bullets, as they want to say, but it's seven on seven. So they're probably not going to get hurt. Um, at least the quarterbacks are not going to get hurt. And it's going to be going to be in a way to evaluate them better to see how they can run the offense. It, you could you could put those games on TV. You could make more money that way. There's opportunity there. I think it would be fascinating to see if they actually did that. And maybe if it wasn't an actual sport, uh, an NCAA sanctioned sport, maybe it could be a club sport, something. I think there's some way to do it, right? I mean, you'd lose a little bit from the offensive line. Maybe the offensive line could do something else. But there, it would be fascinating to see what this team could do if they were running seven on seven. That, mm. uh, so, like, it would be like a like a, almost like a an intramural league. So, like USC and UCLA seven on seven teams would play each other. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think the way you would do it, you would probably do it like in high school, how they have these high school you know tournaments, and so there'd be a USC tournament or USC meet or whatever, and all these schools come down to the Coliseum if the call seems, you know, functional and all these teams compete there for a day. And then, you know, you have rankings and the whole bit and you keep stats and everything. And it's essentially like you could do this or you could have arena league as a sport in, in the off season. I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking this. Maybe this completely <laughs> goes against like coaches not wanting to get players hurt because yeah. more, more competition would lead to more injuries. But I'm just looking at it in a way to find meaningful ways to develop your players and get a sense of being able to, you know, evaluate. I, I like uh, really quick. I like this idea, but I like the viability of it. The viability across, is low yes. across <laughs> different teams. Like I, I think it's very low, but it sort of gave me the idea of like, that could be your spring game where USC just goes out and says, oh, totally. okay, Totally. You just you, you have a spring game and it's a seven on seven spring game. And then, yeah, for the line, maybe you do like maybe you turn it into like an exhibition in terms of like have a competition, like almost like an all star game where you have the three point competition and the skills competition and stuff like that. And turn your spring game into a seven on seven plus a line line competition. You could literally make like three or four teams, right? Yeah. yeah. And then you have a Fink team, a Daniels team, a Slovis team, and, and so on. And that would be interesting, but SE just doesn't have enough bodies to be able to pull that off. Right. Well I think in theory. one of the things that we saw when we used to be able to cover a lot more of the summer workouts and stuff. One thing USC used to do, man, I think this was mid two thousands is they would have, you know, they would have their competitive summer workouts. So the players would go out there. They do a bunch of one on ones. They would do. Uh, it was less like now. They're more like practice. They're basically trying to mimic what happens at practice. Then it was more about the the players actually being out there, competing against each other. Uh, then they'd run some like seven on a seven. They'd, they'd do some eleven on eleven every once in a while. But it was it was more just about the competition. They would bring in like the football team from El Camino College and play seven on seven against them. So I'm not. That's I mean, a great idea. Yeah, it's interesting. So what if, even if it's just a unique thing for like USC and UCLA, that you play them in seven on seven, like some sort of organized event where you have like three teams and maybe team one from UCLA plays team three from USC and like everyone just kind of gets out there and works on stuff. That could be uh, kind of interesting. It's probably going to go against every rule or whatever. But I, I, <laughs> I mean, I think that would be kind of fun. And it probably wouldn't even count as a, well, maybe it would count as one of your spring practices, but uh, something like that would be kind of uh, unique, but they used to used to do that a little bit in the summers when it was just players only. Like I said, with El Camino College, but it's it's been a while since they've done that. Anything that fosters competition 
I think, which inherently that would, I think that's a positive sort of option. Yeah, I I, I would agree. Ryan, you got any more um, suggestions? Uh, I would say, I think, I mean, Alicia kind of took some of them, but for as far as practices go, I'd like to see, um, and I think they're doing a little bit more of this now. It's kind of fundamental stuff. Sometimes uh, I would like to see more full pads, full, uh, you know, hitting at least for certain periods, more of the like Oklahoma type drills, stuff like that um, happening. I would like to see less uh, full team sort of special teams. Like I think some of that specialty stuff, you can save that for the fall when you're actually getting ready for a game. I want to see kids kind of uh, work hard and, and and get better at their craft. And, uh, you know, scheme wise, like uh, how they're covering a punt, I don't really care about that kind of stuff in the spring. And I think last spring, I think at least and I were talking about this at practice on Tuesday. Like I think last spring they did a little bit less of that. And, we're, you know, I think we're starting to see a little bit more of that creep in. But just treat the practices, don't, you know, don't worry about, oh, this could happen, this could happen. Just go out there like, hey, we're going to spend spring. We got 15 practices to bang our heads against each other. Do it in a fun way that's entertaining for the player. You know, like They're having fun out there. They're getting better at what they do. And I think you can look back on it and go, you know, I think we got better as a football team uh, in the spring. So I kind of like to see that the way practices go, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree, particularly on the special team. The, the best part about special teams periods is it's a break for me from having to watch anything because there's no point in watching them. So I get to form all my tweets for post-practice. Like I get to draft them during special teams. You're missing all the Aussie punts and, and all the, <laughs> that kind of stuff. That would be fascinating to watch, I think. He's at, fun, at, he's at fun to watch. Spring. He's good. Like, you know, he's legit. So he's got a leg. Uh, yeah, stuff like that they can still do. But if, if they're doing the full team like coverage where basically you have 22 guys like doing something and everyone else watching it just doesn't seem like I don't I don't really want to see that in the spring. Like you, you got to do it in the fall sometimes, but not really in the spring. For sure. Uh, Alicia, any any final suggestions? Um, the the only thing uh, the problem like for this particular spring is that a lot like a lot of the things that I would suggest aren't viable because of the depth issues. But like I've always big, been a big fan of when they've had like walk ons when they're doing routes on air. Like basically, don't do routes on air. Um, have somebody there to obstruct. And and don't ever let yourself get into the the habit of not having a defender on you and having to uh, like always having to be conscious of a defender. Um, Wait, which, are, you, are you wanting them to use the walk-ons like like they did in Rudy? Yes, essentially, yes, one hundred percent. That's what walk-ons are there for. The, the no offense, liter- yes, but. literal red shirts. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I I could see that. That's that's always a body issue. Yeah, um, it kind of s- seems problematic to just like you know just throw hell at those walk-ons, but that is kind of what they're there for uh, in a lot of ways, and that's their opportunity also for the walk-ons to see if they're able to work into the system. I mean, we've seen a lot of walk-ons end up developing to be contributors on this team. I mean, look at Jordan McMillan last year; uh, it came out of nowhere to have that big interception against Notre Dame. So. Any opportunity for the walk-ons, I think, works, and it's something that helps out everyone in, in an ideal sense. Um, my last two suggestions are, again, I don't know how viable this is. One of them, more than 15 spring sessions, strictly to allow more time to build up to pads. Because the way the rules are now, you have to have, you have to, you know, wear 
shirts one day and then shells the next day and then helmets the next or whatever it is the rules are if you had more than 15 sessions you could have those practice sessions at the beginning that were just the bs ones where you're just working up to full pads so that way you have more opportunity to wear full pads and then i'd also try to find a way to not get spring break to be the second week every single time <laughs> i'm sure that there's some reason that they enjoy it i just don't understand it because i feel like you come back you have one good week of practice and then you immediately leave and then you come back again you have to start over from square one again yeah i've always found that weird too that's a recent phenomenon that didn't usually happen before um yeah i get it but i feel like oh you come out of the gate sometimes it's like two weeks and then you take a week off um, for, for USC to get three practices in, you know, sometimes maybe it's an opportunity for the coaches to go back and look at the tape and you can change the the last four weeks of practice, which if that, if you're doing things on the fly, I don't think that's that bad of an idea, but it's, it's just weird to see for me. I don't know if you guys think that there should be some sort of uniformity. I'm cool with more practices. Do you want to see some, some uniformity with you got Arizona state, you know, cramming everything in in like three weeks in, in February and other schools like UCLA is taking like two months from like March to like late April. Like it's weird how every school kind of does it differently. I don't know if, if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's it's so different. I think it's hard with the, the school schedules, right? The schools that are on semester versus quarter system, that's going to inherently make it difficult. But yeah, it would be easier to be able to see if there was some sort of uniformity. I, I think it'd be easier to comprehend a little bit. The only problem I see with that is like, for instance, ASU wants to get their spring camp done as early as possible, uh, I assume in part because weather uh, where they have an indoor other, practice facility. Do they? Okay, so then maybe that doesn't maybe that doesn't factor in. Then um, that was my only thought: is oh, they're just trying to get it done early because Arizona. Uh, whereas other schools might have incentive to get it done later because you know, right. middle of of you know t- the tundra or whatever. Uh, but yeah, yeah everyone has their own reasons. It would just be easier if it was if it just made more sense. If it felt like at least it made more sense than just having it a, a complete free for all. But but a lot of those restrictions, like the fifteen practices, like who came up with fifteen practices? Like, is that just an arbitrary number that they have done because they decided to do it that way? Like, and if it's something you've always done, that's just yeah, kind of how, yeah, it, like, how it sticks. Yeah, yeah. These these things could all be looked at and and changed for sure. Uh, But let's wrap up this episode with the mailbag. We'll come up right back after this and do that and then wrap this thing up. You've got mail. All right, guys, let's start with an email we got from Dan who says, Hello, one of the sports implicated in the bribery investigation was women's rowing. In May 2017, the quite successful women's rowing coach, Zenon Babraj, I hope I'm saying that right, uh, resigned for unspecified reasons. The beneficiaries of that, of the scam, enrolled in fall of 2017. Does the timing sound suspicious to you guys? If USC knew about the bribes, would they keep Clay Helton to avoid even more publicity? Dan. The the timing, I suppose... Uh, if basically anything that happened with women's rowing, now knowing that they were fudging these things using the rowing team, I, I mean, maybe maybe there's something going on there. As far as that relates to USC keeping Clay Helton, I don't I don't think there's any any connection. USC is going to make the Clay Helton decision based on yeah. I think it says more factors. about Lynn Swan than Clay Helton, at least. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with you there. And I I 
since this was breaking, I've got a number of texts and DMs from people that are like, yeah, row, it seems like rowing is sort of like this problem. I'm not going to say, I mean, I don't want to say problem sport, but it's, it's a sport that's going to be involved in this. I remember even when I was in school, like if like I was a pretty good volleyball player and I tried out for the team, I didn't make the team, but I would, I got to play on the club team, but there was enough scholarships on rowing that they would, it was like, you were grabbing people like, Hey, you're tall. Like you're athletic. We can, we can make you a rower. Um, it seemed like there was a lot, there's more scholarships open and more spots for people. And maybe that's part of the problem where you can sort of like hide people, uh, in there, and they were yeah, they were basically recruiting like walk-ons, like trying to get people to come on and row. But I've got DMs from people that were athletes. They're like, yeah, this kind of stuff has happened a bunch. Um, so I I don't know enough about it, but it seems like guys from what I've heard that rowing is going to be involved like even more uh, going forward. There seems like this is something that's happened quite a bit. Where I don't know, you can hide students, but you can hide people uh, with these crew teams for whatever reason. So just. It, those are the first people that emailed me or texted me after this was people talking about the uh, the crew, you know, the rowing teams. Upstream with this. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> let's, let's, let's go to an email, or sorry, a voicemail we got from Eddie. What's going on, Ring of Troy? Um, my name's Eddie from Orange, longtime uh, modern-day uh, supporter, booster, former alumnus, teammate with Matt Liner back in the uh, 90s, early 2000s. Um, Wanted to call and rant about uh, my confusion on whether or not you two have ever seen uh, JT Daniels play football at modern day. Um, he ran the air raid there. I know you guys are saying that you think Jack Sears might be a better quarterback for the air raid offense. Did you see JT play at modern day? Did you? Because uh, that's all modern day ran when JT was there. When he threw for over 4,000 yards his junior year when he had uh, ungodly statistics when it came to touchdown to um, interception ratios his uh, sophomore and junior year there at modern day. And you say he's not athletic enough to run the air raid, but have you seen his highlight films from his junior year where he had several runs of over 50 yards when he torched you know, Mission Viejo, uh, Bishop Gorman, St. John Bosco, Concord de la Salle for, for large runs that got first downs or touchdowns when the, on the first game of, the, of his junior season when he ran for 35 yards and waved to the fans in the stands um, at uh, Bishop Amat. Uh, he, he's athletic enough to run the, the, the air raid. He's been running it since he was a um, IE duck. Uh, for his uh, eighth grade year in uh, uh, U14 football. I, I don't understand this whole, like, I don't know, kids, you can run the, the air raid. Uh, he can run the air raid way better than most quarterbacks out there. He's been over 4,000 yards next year. He's going to have large runs. This is very confusing. And uh, maybe go to uh, YouTube and Google JT Daniels modern day and check out a couple clips from it. All right. Thanks. Thanks for the call, Eddie. I got to say, I don't know where either one of us is coming with the idea that he's not athletic enough to be the quarterback for USC under the air raid. I think Eddie is referring to the episode that Alex and I recorded where we talked about the air raid and the quarterbacks, but I think Eddie is misunderstanding what we talked about. 
We talked about not that Jack Sears would be better at running the air raid than JT Daniels, but that the air raid would benefit JT uh, benefit Jack Sears as a quarterback compared to what he was running with USC's old gumbo system, where a, a simpler offense might play to Jack Sears' strengths better than the gumbo offense. It wasn't about Jack Sears being suddenly better than JT Daniels because of this offense, but more a benefit to Jack Sears as an individual. I don't think either of us said that JT Daniels wouldn't thrive in the air raid either. Like I've said from the get-go, JT Daniels is going to win this starting job because you take everything that won JT Daniels the job last year and you make it simpler and easier, easier and let him go out with, you know, just slinging it around in a system that was very similar to what he ran in high school, he's going to do just fine. I think Eddie was just misunderstanding the conversation that that Alex and I were having, which was more in regards to the ways that the air raid would benefit Jack Sears, as opposed to the ways that the air raid would benefit J.J. Daniels, because across the board, the air raid is going to benefit every single one of USC's quarterbacks. It just, yeah, I think Jack Sears the has the most to gain. Yeah, it's going to benefit all of them. Um, regardless of how athletic or non-athletic they are, I don't think that, that matters anymore. I mean, you look at Gardner Minshew, right, at, at Washington State. He was someone who had negative 36 and negative 40 rushing yards in his two years as a starter at, uh, was it Eastern Carolina or wherever he was? It didn't matter that he wasn't athletic. He was able to thrive in, in the air raid. So I don't really think that it... Whether or not you're athletic can maybe add on things, but I don't think it right. is a contributing factor to, to the air raid. What do you say, which, right? Which is where it benefits Jack Sears. Yeah, and I, I think, uh, I mean, I am I do get baffled when people are saying that, you know, uh, JT Daniels shouldn't be the starting quarterback. You know, we watched him through practice. When he practiced the gumbo, he was definitely better than the other two guys. Now, I do want to see how Jack Sears performs and how Matt Vick performs, you know, when they're all on the same page, they're all practicing the same offense. And I agree. It looks similar to a lot of stuff that JT Daniels did uh, in high school. Uh, Eddie, I remember watching him with the IE ducks when he was in eighth grade, like this pimply face kid. And you're like, who's that guy? Like, Oh, that's JT Daniels. He's going to be like ridiculously good. And he was, um, you know, playing with the, uh, you know, with that eighth grade team and they would play in seven on seven, like at those big tournaments, they would play teams that had like sophomores in high school and they would beat them and stuff. So they were, they were pretty good, but he, you know, you look at that modern day team, it was stacked all over the place. I mean, they had a lot of talent around him as well. So that's, that's one of those things where, well, what's going to happen when you're in college and you're playing against better competition and stuff like that. But I think he's performed really well. I think you talk about it uh, a lot that he, his stats were similar to what Matt Barkley's was back in 2009. And I know that offense has evolved and you're seeing higher QB ratings and all that kind of stuff now. But to be fair, I think he was running more of an offense that you would have seen back then than what you're seeing now. I think whoever ends up being the starter, I expect those numbers to go up. I think they them to be more efficient. I think they're, the quarterback numbers are going to be a lot better than what we saw last year. If it's JT Daniels or Jack Sears or anyone, just because they're running a more modern system, a, a more efficient system, one that I think you're going to you see all over college campuses for a reason it's because it's effective and it works and the simplicity really kind of helped things for for players like having a a play that takes you know 18 words to describe I don't think you can do that in college when you got them 20 hours a week so uh yeah I think I think JT Daniels would be fine I don't think they were from what I heard I don't think they were bashing him and saying (laughs) he's not gonna be good uh but I I want to see all three of these guys or even Slovis now four uh kind of perform in this offense and I I think they're all gonna look better than what we saw them last year yeah one of the things that I've taken away from listening to 
uh, the podcast of champions is Dave Woods talking about scheming guys open. And that's one way that you can kind of, you know, evaluate how good an offensive coordinator is. If they're scheming guys open, if they're making it look simple, right? Well, if you're able to do that, it's going to improve it for everybody, whether or not they're, you know, they can run a four or five or not. And so I think that's going to improve everything across the board for the, for the quarterbacks, for the receivers, for everybody, if they're able to scheme things open. And I, I love the idea too about simplifying things just because you don't have that much time. It's, it's college football. It's not the NFL. You don't have these guys for that much time per week. And, and talking about simplicity, I think one of my favorite lines from the first week of, of camp was Amon Ross St. Brown saying, you know, last year would be seven or eight words in a play and this year it's three. So very, very simple. Keeping it, keeping it simple, stupid. Kiss. Yep. Uh, let's go to a call from Steve. Hey, Alicia and Michael. This is Steve in Las Vegas. I had a comment about the transfer portal and, um, the, the person that we have to thank for the transfer portal and its existence is Reggie Bush. And the school that we have to thank for it uh, is USC. Um, after Reggie Bush faced his accusation and um, kind of belatedly began to, instead of cower from the accusation, respond and say that, the NCAA was basically taking advantage of the college athletes, particularly the low-income college athletes. That's when other schools took note of USC's uh, weak reaction to the NCAA coming at them. And other schools, like Miami is, a, is an example, um, they, they decided to fight, and they decided to challenge the NCAA and challenge its entire authority um, and its methodology because they saw that SC should have done that, but SC shouldn't have weak. So what's happened since then, now the NCAA's credibility is really in jeopardy. And so the big Power Five conferences and football and basketball are looking up and saying, well, why do we even need the NCAA involved in what is a business? Okay, and so that's why the NCAA has had to uh, terminate things like using the athletes' images in video games, um, giving athletes more food privileges, um, and, and now giving them transfer privileges because the NCAA is under pressure to, to uh, really to, to show why it's still a legitimate organization. So. That's what's going on um, with the portal, and so you can thank Reggie Bush and USC for that. And it's going to continue, and within about a decade or so, the NCAA will be out of college football and college basketball on the, on the big conference. Thanks for the call, Steve. I, I think there's a lot of truth to this. I think there's a lot of people changing their opinions after the Reggie Bush thing. Maybe not because of Reggie Bush, but I think more so of maybe the punishment SC got for Reggie Bush kind of changed things. As the SC case, the Ohio State case, the, the North Carolina case, I think those how those things responded and how student-athletes got treated in those things kind of changed how people start to look at student-athletes as a whole. And the whole landscape has just changed dramatically in the last 15 years. What say you, Ryan? Yeah, I was having a hard time connecting that USC is the reason that the transfer portal exists, but I, I think that 
case did change the entire landscape and maybe set us on a course where we're here. But I, I feel like there's always, there's just been these pressures uh, from outside and they're on the NCAA. Hey, you got to pay these guys. You got to pay these guys and try to, whatever you can do, try to make things easier uh, for the student athlete. Whenever they change a rule and they're trying to benefit the student athlete, I'm, I'm almost always uh, for that. I think you got to look at some of the, I think some things are not good for the student athlete in the transfer portal. I think that's why you're seeing like thousands of players in there and there's nowhere near that many scholarships available. Um, so connection was a little rough for, for me to make, but I do think it, the game did start changing with these USC uh, sanctions back 2010, 11, or you know, from back then. And now we're seeing, uh, I think there's a lot of changes in college football. I think that's part of the reason that, you know, those sanctions and what happened there are probably a part of the reason why we've seen some of the progress we've made to this point. I think the biggest thing for me is the perception, uh, more so than anything. It's that the perception of what Reggie Bush was involved with was worlds different 10 years ago than it is today. Um, if that case happened today, I think the A, the punishment would be drastically different, but I don't think anyone would be blaming Reggie Bush. I, I mean, look at the, the stuff with like Laramie Tunsil at Ole Miss. Uh, when that happened, people were making excuses for Laramie and Tunsil saying, well, players should get paid, so more power to him and all this stuff. That benefit of the doubt was not given to Reggie Bush at the time, not given to USC at the time. Yeah, 100%. It's, you still see people on Twitter like they feel like USC is the one that paid to get Reggie Bush because that was, you know, like the Cam Newton sort of thing. It's like, no, someone was actually trying to pay to get him to leave USC. And it's not really, you know, it's not really uh, – whatever it's not working in their mind so that's but yeah it's, it's just this misconception i think usc did a terrible job too uh back then taking care of that we don't need to rehash all that stuff but um yeah to, to make it see that usc is the reason reggie bush is the reason there's a transfer portal i don't know about that but i can see some of the changes that happened since then because of you know what happened with reggie bush well i think there's almost been a natural evolution to the way that we perceive uh student athletes and and the ncaa and, and all of that and usc was definitely one of the big sort of pillars that have been along the way on on that journey to where we are now but I think if it wasn't USC it would have been somebody else like if it wasn't Reggie Bush there would have been somebody else who got caught right. and that would have been the that that tentpole moment right so um I, I can see where USC that the USC scandal with Reggie Bush has certainly helped shape the way that we view the NCAA the way that the NCAA has sort of dug their heels in about amateurism and all of that kind of stuff but I also think that we would probably have gotten to this stage. This is like a natural evolution, just the way things were always going to go. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. It would have been someone else for sure. Uh, let's get a text message from Chainsaw. And he, he didn't say that this was for Ryan, but Ryan, I think this is for you specifically when it references your favorite player of all time, Tyler Vons. Ah, nice. Chainsaw says, hi, Rod. My question has to do with the wide, re wide receiver position, specifically with Tyler Vaughn's spot. I always liked TV, but last year he seemed pretty vanilla. He didn't do anything special or showcase any particular skill set, proving him indispensable. Like most of us, I'm excited for new shiny toys. Do you see any chance that Devin Williams overtakes him this year? Love, Chainsaw. Shame on you, Chainsaw. Devin, no, I like Devin Williams a lot. Um, but, you know, Tyler Vaughn's is my, like, spirit animal for whatever reason. I would just make jokes about it. But, yeah, I like I like Tyler a lot. I think it started back covering one of those high school seven-on-seven -seven events. And, like, Keyshawn Johnson was there. And I think that's when his son was a recruit, too, or something. So he was showing up at different events. And 
just, I mean, I don't know him well, but we just were chatting a little bit about it. And he told me he didn't really like Tyler Vaughn's as a wide receiver and something like that. And I was just like, I think he's pretty good. And they're like, you know, he's like, nah, blah, 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 whatever it was. So um, I've kind of like had this thing like, oh, I think he's going to do, do all right. Um, yeah. I, you know, I think Michael Pittman made some better plays than Tyler Vaughn's last year. I think that he's good at high pointing the ball too, but really those guys were asked to make tough catches uh, all year long because like what, you know, Michael said earlier, uh, this wasn't an offense that schemed their wide receivers open. It was really an offense that relied on athletes making plays. And he didn't make as many as I think, you know, Pittman did, or maybe as the, as the, you know, prior year. Uh, but I feel like in this sort of system where he can make some of those tough catches, but also get a bunch of easier ones too, it's going to uh, help him a lot. I think they're all going to get run. It's a, it's an air raid type of system. You're going to see your best wide receivers out there. They're not going to be a super deep group. But those guys, Pittman, Vaughns, Williams, uh, St. Brown, I think all of them are going to see uh, increased numbers, more efficient uh, in, in what they do. And you'll probably see some of the other guys, too, some of the younger guys uh, make some run as well. But I, I fully expect Tyler Vaughns to have a big year, not just because I'm a huge fan of his. I just think in this system, him and the rest of the guys are really going to benefit. Yeah, I'll echo all those thoughts as well. And and. Basically, the, the pecking order is not going to matter quite so much because they are going to put all of those guys on the field at the same time. And Tyler Vons is just too talented to not be involved in the offense in a, in a big, big way. And you got to think that, that Harrell's offense will be able to get more out of him and the, more out of the wide receivers in general. Yeah, I think Tyler Vons' issue last year was inconsistency um rather than being vanilla but I think everyone was inconsistent on the entire offense so I wouldn't say that it was just limited to him the other thing too is and he's obviously got to go out and win the quarterback battle but they were Vaughn's and Pittman and all those guys were working with uh you know the first year quarterback and they were working through the chemistry stuff throughout the whole year so if JT Daniels is the starter in year two that's year two with the chemistry between all of those wide receivers and that quarterback and that alone should result in, in some better uh, numbers as well. Yeah, you would think so. Uh, let's go to a text message from Greg in Woodland Hills, who says, does USC still spend the same amount of time on special teams during practice? I think we talked about this a little bit earlier. Uh, he, uh, I don't know if it's the same amount of time, but it's not that much less if it's that much less. Yeah, I think it's more than what we saw last spring, for sure. But it's I don't think it's quite as much as we were seeing in the in the fall. But if I I don't know, do you remember? I think they might have backed off a little bit on some of the special team stuff later in the year. I don't know. They but spent a lot of time on special teams yeah, during the year. A lot I mean, of time. I try to convince myself that they're not, but they really they really are. I think <laughs> I was going to go in and time it at one point. I, was or I think too. I did. It just takes time. You're like that's a lot of of time. Like it was it was almost a third of the practice time. It was at least a half hour of every practice in the fall, and yeah. I don't know that it's a half hour of these spring practices, but it's like 20 minutes probably still. And yeah. if you're going to spend that much time, you need to be at like beamer ball level for Virginia <laughs> Tech, right? Like you need yeah. to be elite changing every single game with your special teams, and SC wasn't able to do that to uh, to justify it. Yeah, when you, I mean, it wasn't just the time. It was you had six players on scholarship by the end of the year. Like, that's yeah. a lot of resources dedicated to special teams. Two punters. You shouldn't yeah. be trotting out nine guys on a PAT if you're doing that. Exactly. Uh, let's go to a Slack message from Top Trojan Fan. This is directly for you, Ryan. It says, podcast Ooh. question for Ryan. How concerning is it that a couple of the new coaching hires have said that they're having to go back and reteach the basics? I know it could all be part of 
of Helton's plan, but it seemed more to me like there had been a severe lack of detail-oriented coaching from the previous staff. Also, I want to say thanks again uh, to Ryan, who sent me a hat and t-shirt several years ago when I was deployed. I really appreciated it. Top Trojan fan. Oh, hey, Top Trojan fan. Yeah, I'm glad uh, glad you enjoyed it. We haven't done any t-shirts for all. You guys got your gear. You got all your swag. Uh, <laughs> we haven't made anything for a while, so I got to do something like that. But um, I don't think it's... I think it's overly concerning. Uh, I mean, maybe you're concerned about what happened last year, but they finished five and seven. So I don't think that's as big of a, you're not too worried about that now. I can't really get any worse. I feel like there's a couple coaches that are come in that, um, you know, I, I think they're going to be in a good position to take the talent on hand and maybe remold them a little bit. I don't know, even if you have a, a, a great coach, an outgoing coach that's amazing and you bring in another one that's really good, they're going to probably reteach some of the things that they, the techniques that they want to focus on. So just right. because you got to have two great coaches and have completely different, you know, takes on how to do things. So I wouldn't be overly concerned. I think it's a good thing that they're going back and doing some of these fundamental stuff. Uh, I think you're going to see some improvements in different parts of the team. So top Jordan fan, don't, don't worry about too much. There's plenty of other things to worry about around USC right now. I wouldn't worry about that. Especially since it's spring camp, this is the time to do that kind of stuff. It's the it's the time to focus on the basics, and yeah, everyone the first time they come in is going to want to install things their way. It's kind of like kind of like when you go to a class for the first time, and the whole first class is just going over the syllabus. Same thing. Uh, but let's wrap this thing up with a question from Dave in Orange County, who says, "This is for Ryan again. How does it feel being the USC podcast godfather?" There is such a reverence by most of the SC pods and it's such a cool dynamic where most of the SC podcast people are friends. They go on each other's shows. They show up at each other's meetups and it's so cool that everyone is friendly with each other. How did that start? Is it important to you? And is there any USC pod person that isn't as cool or friendly? I doubt he will answer that one because Ryan is such a nice, cool dude, says Dave. Ah, which hey is Dave. probably correct. Uh, well, thanks. I don't know how it feels. I mean, I guess it just feels the same, but the to be the podcast uh, godfather, really just being there early. I mean, I when I started uscfootball.com in 96, there wasn't a lot of websites covering teams. So it's sort of like being the first to market, I think has helped and being consistent. And I think, you know, that's what you see from Ray Detroit. You know what you're going to get. Um, they're producing episodes every week. And I think that's, that's when people ask me about podcasting, it's like, you know, I want to do this. And former players have come in and asked me about it. And the, the first thing I tell them is, if you're going to do a once a week podcast, you do it every freaking week. You do it every Monday, whatever you do. And a lot of times that's, they're like, oh, well, I kind of want to do it when I want to do it. And I'm like, well, that's not really going to work. If you want to build an audience, I think, so just showing up and doing that every week. Um, it's funny when, you know, uh, Michael mentioned the podcast of champions I do with David Woods, who covers UCLA. We sort of pat, <laughs> pat each other on the back, like, hey, we're doing a show every week now. Cause we, there were a couple of years ago, we weren't <laughs> really doing that. We'd go like all spring or something, not doing them, but just, just showing up, I think is a big part of that. And there's, I think you have different relationships with everybody, uh, in the media, not just on the podcasting stuff. And there's personality. Sometimes people clash and you don't really talk to them much. And other times you get along and I've always got along, uh, with, you know, the people for, I think for the most part, you get along with people, even though there's competitive environments all the time, you still like, you know, there's people you respect. There's people that you like what their work is. And those people that you maybe not, care for as much. But um, I always look at people like, hey, are they working hard? Are they doing the right things? And that's what, you know, for Michael and Alicia, like that they, they are, they, they're, they're hard workers. They're really, and, and, and it's not easy to do this and to talk basically by yourself or in a room by yourself, just a microphone and headphones and stuff. 
and keep that interesting. You need to have some sort of chemistry because we've we've heard people that are really good, they, they're really knowledgeable that maybe aren't that good in the podcasting forum because that's just not their personality. But, you know, Michael and Alicia work really well together. Um, and I think, you know, the reason the podcast of champions work, people think that David and I have a really good chemistry, even though, you know, I cover USC and he covers UCLA, you kind of need that. So, um, and with Michael's like audio czarship, but, you know, <laughs> making sure he gets everything right. Like it's, it's been a ex- I open experience just to be part of this podcast and see what he's doing behind the scenes, pre-editing like stuff that I don't do, but I, they, <laughs> they put in the work and, you know, we all get along. We like each other. I would show up, you know, I think we would show up to each other's things because, they're nice people in the industry and you get along with. It's not that everyone does that, but I think for the most part, you respect other people and the job they do. And, you know, everyone, you, I think you like those people just like in regular life. So, sorry, that's kind of rambly. I should, <laughs> I should air it and, like, and edit that, but, that's, you know. <laughs> you know, but, the, but that's the thing is, is uh, if, if you just approach things with the idea of, you know, being friendly and approachable and like that was the, the the nice thing about you Ryan is that you, you're somebody who you know you will chat like I think you started talking to me first like I knew who you were I really knew who you were uh and I was intimidated I was like oh my gosh that's Ryan Abraham and then oh, you struck up a conversation with me and it was like the coolest <laughs> thing is it was like like no like Ryan is really interested in 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 you know who you are and and like yeah I don't know I I just think there are some people um who naturally are just you know, we're all human beings and you interact with other people on the beat the same way you would hopefully interact with random people that you get thrown into a little pen <laughs> with. Like, that's <laughs> what would happen if, if everyone at your if everyone in your building had to go stand in a what is it like 15 feet by <laughs> by 15 feet little roped off. I was just watching this this uh, this video about how the presidential motorcade works and how all of the the media people ride in one of those like suburbans and I'm thinking that'd oh. be so weird if it was like an SC thing and like in that suburban <laughs> it's like all the beat writers in that suburban following Clay Helton around it would be so weird I would think that would be a very competitive environment too oh, yeah. like just from right. watching like House of Cards and things like that like that would be uh I would think that'd be competitive and there's definitely aspects of that but I think Alicia to your point when you meet people that are like sometimes national media will come to USC or whatever. And I've had a, you know, uh, great opportunity, whatever. I've, I've met a lot of people that are on the national scene and, and there's some people that are extremely nice. And there's other people that like, you know, doesn't really give you the time of day. And I think you can like, I'd rather be the nice person. So whoever it is that comes up to you. And I think all of us, because, you know, people think they know you because they listen to you on the podcast all the time. So when someone comes up to you and says, uh, hey, Ryan, or hey, Michael, hey, whatever it is. Hey, uh, I love your show or you listen to it. Or the, and it's like, hey, you just want to be nice to them. And, um, you know, they all, everyone has an interesting story and something, uh, you know, interesting to say. So I just, I don't know, I've always tried to do that. And I'm, I'm glad that you guys have been friendly and you're, you're always fun to talk to on road, you know, road games and things like that. So, yeah. And the way I look at it is rising tides lift all boats too. Our podcast is better when you're better. And I'm, I would hope that your podcast is better if we're better. Like, yeah. We all we all help each other in that sense, even though there can still be you know competition and whatnot. But it's all it's all good. It's all good fun stuff. So yeah, this has been fun. It's been fun having you on. Uh, your your first official. We'll say your first official time <laughs> on Renator Radio. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. I was wondering. I was like, man, they just really don't want you know that Keely on. They have all these. <laughs> 
that guy Alex who hates JT Daniels on. They don't like what, <laughs> what you know, what do I well, got to do here? One of my favorite podcasts is Doughboys, which which looks at chain restaurants. They have yet to review McDonald's and they've been around for four years. And I kind of view it the same thing. Like we had yet to have you on. <laughs> you were a McDonald's. That's funny that they have that, that has to be on purpose, right? Like that they're. Yes, it's on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> it's I their white whale. You guys know so many more podcasts uh, than me. I just don't. I need to like dive in some more. And I, I'm doing it better in my car. Like instead of listening to. Sports talk radio or something. I'll just, you know, I'll put on podcasts a lot there, now. There's just not enough hours in the day. That's the problem. That's my problem. I do like you can put it on. If you listen to you guys at point, you know, like one point, I, I'm, I'm like a <laughs> 1.2 X person. So I don't do that. But like sometimes when they play drops of songs, it sounds different. Uh, but everyone sounds a little different. I don't know if you guys listen to it that way too. I can't, I can't. do it. I can't because I think when you're talking, they're really fast, and then I, I don't. I am not able to comprehend people are talking really fast. See, I can't even really talk that fast. And that's why we're talking about two times speed. And you really can't understand me. It's just, I just I can't do it. And I know I've I've talked to you know friend of the pod Paolo Ugetti about it because he's the one who told me about one and a half or two times speed first. Oh, that's that too fast. I was so amazed at like the concept, and he's like, no, you just gotta listen to it, and then a few times, and you'll be able to get to it, and you'll be able to understand it. But just listening to it the first time that fast it's so fast to, it's beyond my comprehension oh, i can't do that i do like 1.2 so it's like 20 percent faster so but that, even then i think about it like over an hour at 1.2 what do you save in like 10 minutes that's still pretty good savings i guess <laughs> i don't know i guess i guess but it's it sounds more uh normal but there there are some hosts that you know that you know that talk faster so they sound right. a lot faster than that's that. true i've done that with some people I, i've listened to some podcasts that talk really slow and then put it up to one and a half and they sound normal <laughs> which yeah which is it, always which is always funny it only works if if the the hosts or whoever's on the podcast if they have that that sort of slower tone of speaking then speeding up is great but like the second you get somebody who talks fast or even just talks normal i can't i can't do it it just hmm. It wigs me out. But I also spend a ridiculous amount of the day listening to podcasts because I, I never have silence. I am always like I'm cooking dinner and listening to a podcast. I am brushing my teeth and listening to a podcast. I am running and listening to a podcast. I'm driving and I'm listening to podcasts. So I have enough time in my day while simultaneously not having enough time in my day. Nice. Yeah, and, and this is a long episode, so I'm pretty sure that we're taking a lot of people's time of their day, too. So yes. <laughs> thanks, as always, for listening. On Ryan, tell the people where they can find you, even though I'm sure they've already found you at some point. Oh, thanks. Yeah, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Inside Troy, and then the website is uscfootball.com. So we've been uh, part of the 24-7 Sports Network, been covering the team for, like I said, since 1996. So it's been a minute or two. Uh, but yeah, appreciate the the opportunity, guys. It's uh, it's always fun. I, I love I love what you do. I, I tell people that, and it's not bull. Like uh, I listen to you guys. You know, you're like we the USC. It. Yeah, you, you're the USC <laughs> podcast I listen to. It's well produced. It's well run, and you guys have good chemistry. And that's that's what I want to hear out of a podcast. Well, Aww, thank you, thank, thank you. you. We'll, and we'll we'll send you some something on Venmo for that. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> Uh, thanks as always for listening. Uh, you know where to find us, Rain of Troy on Twitter, uh, facebook.com slash Rain of Troy. Bonus episodes, patreon.com slash Rain of Troy. Uh, phone number 213-373-1872. Email address Rain of Troy at fanside.com. Alicia Hiss with the final word. The final word is bribery, as in if we sent Ryan Venmo, are we going to get indicted by the FBI for bribery? <laughs> <laughs>
we, well we, done. We just might. But hey, that'd be the USC thing to do, right? It would be. <laughs> Very on brand. Speaking of on brand <laughs> things. All right. Uh, until next time, we'll see you. See ya. See ya. See ya. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.